Welcome back to Pro Running News, or welcome to if it's the first time you're tuning in. Dave and Matt speaking about seven-day training cycles, of which uh, most people are most likely uh, using in their training, and why they might not make the most sense and what other alternatives there are out there. So Dave, you, um, well, we've discussed this off-air before about um, different training cycles that we've noticed in triathlon, especially at the elite end and also in running, uh, but where would you like to start? I think it's important to sort of understand why people train in a seven-day cycle and and then, you know, why like what training is it about? And then you can go from there and, and reason your way through why, why or why not it may or may not make sense to train in a seven-day cycle. But uh, I think fundamentally for most people, seven-day cycles hinge off a work week for most people, right? So, and as a result of that, people who don't have a work week that uh, requires a seven-day cycle probably train in a group where most people do. So you end up either via the group or via your own work requirements training uh, so that you can do a long run on a Sunday or something like that, or your biggest training day on a Sunday, because uh, it's a weekend day. Uh, that's really what it boils down to. Um, yeah. Anything, you know, anything else from you on that in terms of why you think people might be doing seven day cycles? I think. Yeah. It's, it's... I mean, like you said, like the normal work week works on a Monday to Sunday cycle. So I think it's just really easy for people to know, okay, after this particular day at work on Wednesday, I might have this and then I'll uh, immediately go to this type of training session. And, and like you said, I think a lot of groups just automatically naturally create these uh, events on Tuesday afternoons, Thursday afternoons, so that it's just a set way for people to remember when training sessions are. I think it would cause, especially for a group of people, it would cause um, you know a lot of maybe not confusion, but just difficulty in, in being able to plan for your training if it was always changing those days. So if, for example, every single week it was something different, you know, many people have kids, they might have uh, only certain days that they uh, do certain sports where they have to take their kids to sports, like all of those other things I think factor around and uh and are reasons for people to be training on seven day cycles. And it is easy to remember that, you know, you've got Tuesday intervals or Thursday threshold and Sunday long run, uh, which I guess is a very common way, at least here in the U S to structure your training um, for runners. Uh, but there uh, it's, it's something, it's interesting that many people don't even really think to plan outside of that seven day cycle. And I think that's where we really wanted to share some ideas around how you might be able to do that. If you are training alone, that might actually be more beneficial for your training and racing to be able to incorporate that. So um, some examples that I've seen, we can, you can speak to some triathlon examples, um, Dave, that we've, uh, we've observed and heard on different podcasts. Um, but I do know that a, a group in the States um, here based in Denver, I'm currently in the US, um, that's why I say here, uh, based in Denver area, uh, Boulder more specifically, um, with Team Boss, uh, they tend to train predominantly on a nine-day cycle. So how that works is they'll they'll do one hard workout, two easy days, one hard workout, two easy days, one hard workout, two easy days over a nine-day period. I'm not 100% clear if they then have a recovery day after that to then start a new cycle. I'm, I haven't heard that part, but at least... In that nine-day cycle, there's, there tends to be, at least this is for sort of 5K and upwards, it tends to be a long run uh, interval session and a threshold session, which basically allows for a two-day period of recovery after every single um, harder effort. So anything other than an easy run, so either a long run or um, or, or an interval session or a threshold session, um, which makes sense because I think the optimal amount of recovery for uh, a, a very hard workout is more than one day. Uh, many people do only have one day and... And I think especially younger people might be able to uh, get away with that over a long period of time. Um, but from what I've, yeah. I've understood, and at least in my own training, um, I've found that, uh, you know, if you are training at a sort of, let's say, 85% effort or, or higher, eight and a half out of 10, 
um, effort in terms of on the, on the RPE scale, rate of perceived exertion, I find that um, one day recovery for me is often just not quite enough. Uh, and I think two days is ideal, and I definitely am executing on training far better if it's if it's two days as opposed to as opposed to one. And to the point that in full marathon training blocks where the long runs are really really long and really hard when you're say within ten weeks of a marathon, and these long runs get up to over thirty two k over twenty miles, where quite a bit of it's at marathon effort or occasionally even faster. Um, I tend to uh, people that want to stick to a seven day cycle. Uh, I tend to only program two hard workouts in that period. So it's normally Wednesday and Sunday, which means there's a two-day recovery period and a three-day recovery period uh, because I find that that um, uh, prevents uh, definitely better for injury risk um, to have uh, more recovery than less. And I have found that based on coaching for quite a while now and even training myself, that if I try and fit a specific marathon long run and two other really hard workouts, interval sessions or threshold sessions, in a seven-day cycle, I'm just not recovering enough uh, because that then forces you to have at least two occasions where you only have one easy day after after an effort. So um, I really like that idea of the nine-day cycle. I think it's really good. Um, I haven't actually been able to program anyone on that because most people um, are so used to this seven-day cycle because they're not professional athletes and they revolve their life around other things like work and school or university or kids' commitments um, that it's just easier uh, for them to do that. But um, yeah, I, I think that it's uh, it's something that a lot of quite actually quite a lot of professionals do, not necessarily nine day cycle, but they just don't do the seven day cycle. So, you know, we spoke uh, and we know about some triathletes that use a, even shorter cycles. So you, you might be able to speak to that uh, and know a bit more about that than I do. Yeah, I don't have great insight, but I've got, you know, heard a couple of times, um, Christian and Gustav, um, the Norwegian triathletes did a fairly well-known and fairly well-spoken about on this podcast, mentioning they sort of do more like a sort of three on one off uh, or three hard days, one easier day um, in there. And and that makes some sense inherently. If you look at the way they're training, they're also doing three sessions a day usually. So, you know, sort of nine sessions hard and then a sort of an easier session. I think the key here is to understand uh, even thinking about what you were saying around recovery times, it's all about stimulus and recovery, right? So how much stimulus have you given and how long does it take to recover from that? And what are you looking to recover? What, what, you know, is it a tissue? Like, is it tendons? Is it muscles? Is it bones? Like what's the recovery timeline? Cause they're all a little bit different and your rate limiter may be different. Um, and then understand that, you know, your improvement comes from that adaptation. So you shouldn't really be going again until you're ready. Right. And that's the, you know, it, it, there's ways to measure that. And we'll get to that. And, and most people, you know, there's rules of thumb. You mentioned two days works really well. And I tend to agree with you, but it depends on how intense the stimulus is. You know, if I gave you four by one K on a Tuesday, you'd recover by, by Wednesday or Thursday, but if it's eight or 10 by a K, then that's very different. So I think it's all about, you know, it's, it's the secret sources in what's the stress we're applying and how we are recovering from that. And I think even to assume that we know, what a workout will do, call it eight by a K off two minutes, right? A very standard session, assuming that will be the same every time we do it, or assuming that that will be the same um, in different climatic conditions is, is erroneous, right? So there's what we apply, which is the external load. That's paces, watts, it's time, it's all those things. And there's the internal load is how we respond to that. So that's the heart rate response. It's all of those things to it. And that's modified by a number of things, right? So a modification, um, the the app you know the recovery and application of that load and how we adapt to it is modified by our status of things like nutrition hydration climate psychological stress right so all of those will modify the stress itself and how we adapt to it 
right? So if you haven't eaten enough, it'll be more stressful. And if you don't eat enough again, it will take longer to adapt. If you're at altitude, it'll be stressful and it will take longer to adapt to as well. So those things are all modifiers in terms of the stress and how we re recover from it. And then again, you can augment recovery, right? You can augment it via extra sleeping, extra recovery modalities, compression boots, cold, et cetera, et cetera. So because that will, some of those will help actually recover and some will help dampen that stimulus itself. So I think the most important thing is to understand how we're applying the load as part of the given week and assuming that it's the same, you know, for the same reason you train on a seven day cycle because it works around work is, is also why you may need to consider changing your training because of work stresses, mm -hmm. right? If your job is that important and it is that stressful, you may actually need to modify training around it. Right. So, and that's not about when you train it's as much as uh, what you're doing in tra training. So the, the mix of intensity, duration, rest periods, all that stuff in one session also applies to a week. And that's then how you build your weekly cycle. Very true. Very true. Um, I'm curious to hear, uh, sorry, just to pick on one thing that you said, I'd, I'd like for you to just explain to listeners um, when you mentioned rate limiter, how would you explain what that means? So for me, for instance, I will almost always break down in my inner tendon. Like I, I, I have tendon and sometimes bony issues. So my musculoskeletal system becomes what limits my ability to adapt because it's the thing that's going to break down. So I have a different set of things that concern me. Like if I'm feeling run down physically, that's not as concerning to me as if I'm like limping out of bed or if I'm a bit stiff in a tendon or something like that. Um, and that timeline for that recovery process is different to something like um, being run down or, or having uh, you know other things that limit you. So most people, yes, okay. Most people listen to this are like, of course, injury is always everyone's limiter. It's like, yes, but but what tissue or what part of that, right? Or you could find that some people just feel really run down for a long time for me, I couldn't uh, run more than five days a week because I'd find that running more than five days a week, I would just start to dislike running. Uh, it's changed recently and I can run a bit more now, but you know, things like that are a huge factor in it, right? Is is what, what does it do to you psychologically, emotionally, all those things? How are you feeling about training? Are you excited to train? Do you want to train? Uh, or does it feel like a grind? And of course, there are parts of the, of the training that suck and it will feel like a grind, right? Especially sessions you don't like, but it's more about, where is, where is the, the thing that starts to yeah be an issue for you? Where, where will you know? Where is, where's been the thing that has been undone for you before? Mm. Um, so for me, that's it. I don't know what it is for you. If you have any insight, if you like, you know, if you've got insights from your training. Yeah. Um, nothing sort of that stands out, but I think uh, once I do start to creep upwards of that a hundred uh, mile mark, so 150 K. So just before the hundred mile mark, um, I do tend to notice that my Achilles um, has a bit of a hard time. So I think that's probably what I would call my my rate limiter. Um, but yeah, it sort of depends also on on a few other things like what shoes am I wearing and how often am I in certain types of other, you know, super shoes and these sorts of things. But um, no, thanks for explaining that. Um, we also noticed too that another example of someone or a training group, not necessarily on a seven-day cycle from what we could observe is, uh, is Elia Kipchoge. So he tends to alternate his, he, it looks, it looks to, to me, I think you, you also said this, it looks like it's more on a 14 day cycle. Um, so you had a look into the training. I think it was more around the long runs switching, uh, one week being a hard yeah, 30k and another week being 40k. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, when we think about training, we sort of, and, and training cycles, we tend to, to use the nomenclature that is like macro cycle, which is usually a year or the big period that might be, you know. Um, a build up to a marathon. So maybe you have two macro cycles a year. 
for many people. Then you have mesocycles, which are blocks, uh, often classically considered a month, but these are usually more like, to be honest with you, a mesocycle is more like the true marathon specific training block part of it to use that or the block leading into a specific race. Uh, or maybe you have a specific focus, VO2 max or something like that. And then you have your microcycle, which is what we're really talking about, which is the shortest repeating unit, right? So most people think that's seven days, uh, but you know you could argue, and some of this is semantics, that if um, Ilya Kipchoge is alternating long runs where one is more long, slow, one is more marathon specific, or one's more hilly and one's not, if you have this pattern that you follow that repeats over a 14-day cycle, then maybe that's the, you know, he's actually on a 14-day cycle, not a seven-day cycle. So mm. I think... You know some of that's semantics, but it, but it's also very real to start thinking about for people to start to unlock in their head. You know, I've heard um, other coaches talking about in marathon specific blocks to make sure it's not all marathon pace. They start working on a fourteen days and and maybe to not do so much of the intense marathon specific long run work. So then you have a fourteen day cycle, one marathon specific workout where you've got long blocks of intensity, uh, or sorry, and then one of the shorter one shorter marathon specific block uh, marathon specific run, and then a threshold. And a um, and a sort of VO two max stimulus, and then a normal long run as well. So you kind of have two long runs, one with uh, marathon intervals, uh, marathon intervals on a normal day, and then a threshold and a VO two max session as well across fourteen days, right? And that yep. makes a ton of sense to try and maintain the stimulus for you know threshold VO two max, uh, not just do a bunch of marathon specific work, which is what I actually, which is what I do, which is just can all that stuff and just go to marathon specific work for six weeks. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely ways to to go onto a non sort of seven day cycle, and I think liberating yourself of of the thought that I have to hit everything in seven days, or else I can't be done, right? Or I can't alternate weeks or do different stuff on different weeks. Like, doesn't make any sense. I think another factor <laughs> why people might um, it, this is a funny topic that I I often um, uh, find entertaining, and it's that pe people often want to keep their and you're you're a little bit like this actually. I think I'm not sure if you mean to do it or not, but your average mileage, at least on a graph, is very, very steady, right? You're actually a master of, of that being very, very consistent, whether you're uh, meaning to do that or not. Um, and if you go away from a seven-day cycle and your long runs then fall, uh, to, you know, to, in a situation where there's not necessarily one every single week, um, it may look on the outside like you're not training very consistently <laughs> because your mileage is changing quite a bit. And I had recently had a conversation with someone that said, oh, their mileage in the lead up to London Marathon was was a little bit all over the place. And when I had a look at it, it was not really all over the place at all. It was sort of like anything between 55 and 66 miles. And um, it didn't sit very comfortably with them that that wasn't a flat line. And I just thought that that would be a struggle for someone like that to get off a seven day training cycle because they want that to look very even, which really I don't think that matters too much. Exactly what that figure looks like over a seven day period. I think what really matters is, are you ticking the boxes of what you need uh, in order to get to the start line to be your fittest? Yeah. I think better software allows you to do that, right? I extend training cycles and that sort of stuff. And I think that, you know, better software that's a bit more bespoke is probably the way to do it. I think, the goal is to get to the start line having trained well, not to have the best look in Strava. Like that's that's the yeah. uh, that's the thing. I mean, for me, I I'm very careful with my loading and edge it up so it, it does look like that, and I am very meticulous with my loading. But it's also with a view towards um, an injury history where I'm concerned. I'm actually a little bit more liberal with it um, now because of having built some load tolerance and being able to run seven days a week, be able to run over 100 kilometers a week pretty comfortably for an extended period of time. But there was a time where if I nudged it up too quickly, I would get sore and have to like drop it back. So um, mm. I am still a little bit scarred from that and I'm a very risk averse personality. So um, I'll, uh, you know, I tend to avoid those sort of things, but um, 
if my Strava looks worse and I run better, I'll be happier. So, and I'm actually <laughs> thinking about going into an asymmetrical uh, loading structure, trying to change some stuff up in in a coming period when I spend some time in the mountains. So, uh, for those who follow on Strava, by all means, look for that um, and uh, and and look at the wonky graph, maybe. But um, but yeah, so I think one way to consider changing how you would do this, and this is you know to segue into that, is how I will know that I'm not going to cook myself um, is some recovery tracking. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many ways to recover uh, to track recovery. Um, the simplest that's often used in team sports is what they call a POMS, profile of um, mood states. And basically, it's just how are you feeling? It's just the questions a good coach would ask you anyway, or or observe anyway. Are you sore? How are you feeling? How's your mood? Sleeping well? All those sort of things. And you can find this online. They're, they exist. Uh, they're also built into a lot of um, apps and, and features and stuff already. The other one is HRV, heart rate variability. I th- don't think there'd be too many listeners who hadn't heard of it. Um, if you haven't heard of it, um, yeah, do some Googling. Uh, Marco Altini um, is the person to go read. He's got Medium. He's got um, a Substack as well. He's got all of the stuff you'd need there. He has an app, uh, which I use as well, uh, to track that, which you know basically it looks at the balance of stress in your body effectively. And if it's nice and stable, you're doing well. And if it's you know out of, out of range for you, then yeah, maybe you're not, not adapting to the stress as well as you would think. And that stress is different. I've actually been training a little bit less recently because I've been on the road traveling and my HIV has gone to, gone to the gutter because it's been stressful traveling um, and not in a bad way, but just it's a lot of load. It's more cognitively burdensome. I also find long driving or lots of work to really affect my HIV more than even a marathon does. Um, so, you know, racing a marathon, running a PB, I'll have less um, perturbation than, than other stuff. And and some people may say, well, then it doesn't hold value for training, which is, is a, a reasonable point is like, if it doesn't move as a result of your training, um, but it does as a result of other stuff, then it doesn't help. But I'd actually argue the other way is that it shows me what moves the needle for me. And it shows me when I need to ease off training because, or maybe not ease off training that much, but maybe when I'm not ready to adapt to some of the higher intensity stimulus um, or when I need to take extra recovery for something else from work stuff or from something else. And I haven't actually used HRV for quite some time, but I'm curious to know, can you tell internally when that metric is, is, is high, it gives you a score that indicates that you're, you're stressed or is it a matter of checking the, the actual app to know that? And is it something that you can just tell by not looking at the app? Yeah. So the way Mark has built HRV for training is um, you do, you take your HRV measurement and higher means you're more recovered within reason. Too high is, is, is not a good thing, but uh, within your normal range, you want to be roughly and lower is generally worse. Now, Whoop and Aura do these things as well. Um, and they measure them slightly differently. We won't get into the nuances of that. Uh, Marco's written about it extensively, but um, basically he takes the measure and then he does, he effectively has built a profile of mood states into the app and asks you a bunch of questions. And then based on the two of those things, uh, it will spit out and give you some advice like, hey, don't, you know, take it easy or don't do too much intensity, uh, something like that. So from there, and uh, I track on a few different apps. I use Rewire Fitness as well. Uh, that's got a neurological component where you tap to look for neurological um, readiness as well. And then you can build stuff from there. So, I mean, there are different ones you can use. Um, I would find one you like and use it. Find one that makes sense to you. Um, yeah, and go that way. I mean, composite scores are tough. They're hard to build. I work at companies that with companies that sort of try and build these things and it's difficult. So when people are giving you a recovery score, that's sort of a roll up of a number of things and not really, and it's a bit of a black box. It's a bit hard sometimes, but um, 
you know, I've, I've found some of the apps to not do so well with that stuff. And I won't name any names. It's not about that. It's about just being weary for people. Um, I would always go with how you're feeling over an app. Uh, doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter what hmm. it's measuring. If, if you don't feel good, then yeah, I wouldn't be doing, uh, I wouldn't be doing too much. And, and similarly, um, if you're feeling good on race day, you know, on race day, you generally use apps hide scores. And I think that's a good way to do it because it doesn't help you. You would then use this to track your ability to adapt to the training you're doing and then modify your training around that. So if it's low, if your HIV is low or something like that, you're not feeling good, you would then push a workout back. And I've heard stories of Hisham al famously doing this, like pushing workouts back day after day because you didn't feel ready to go again. And that's a good example of, you know, I the next hard session I have to do is X. I will do it when I'm ready. And then I do it and I adapt to that and knowing that the following session will be Y, right? And that's a little bit easier when you're a middle distance runner because those workouts are a bit more... Um, like they're less long run dependent. They're more about that workout between and that sort of stuff. So it's a little bit easier at that stage, but I think you could easily do this as a marathon runner as well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely heard that as well about Hitchum in that he would uh, quite often push workouts back two or three days. Uh, and often to the point where they warm up and start the workout and decide halfway or very early on in the workout that he's going to try and move it backwards. So, I mean, thinking about that, there's pretty clear that he was probably not really on any particular cycle. Uh, it was more about knowing what the workouts were coming up and just being sure that you were, you were able to to hit them as well as you could on the days that you were ready for them. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, I'm sure there's plenty more examples of these, but I think the one of the more interesting ones for sure is one that we've already brought up, and it's the the three days on and and one day one day easy day of the of the Norwegians. And I, I follow Christian and Gustav both on Strava, and and you do notice by looking at their uh, their summary that their mileage and their volume does sort of it doesn't seem overly consistent. Now, we also don't know if they're logging everything on there. It seems like they're logging most, but some workouts, especially in the pool, they might not. Um, but yeah, I think that's mostly as a result on the run side, at least that, um, yeah, they're doing the 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 three days on and, and one easy day. And from what I understand, that easy day is, they, they say it's a, a rest day or a recovery day, but I think that there's still a good four or five hours of, of training in there, but it's just, it's just really light and really easy. Um, so yeah, I, I, are you familiar with at all their sort of bigger macro cycle or, um, you know, we're aware of their smaller ones. Uh, I, think no, I think they have a, an idea of where it's going, but I think the, the whole Norwegian method is hinges on their ability to continuously be moder uh, monitoring variables. And as you're monitoring variables, you're monitoring adaptation as well. And therefore you're tracking towards progress. Um, having spoken to Olaf, um, he sort of works back similar to me, to be honest, without wanting to say that I'm anywhere in his, um, you know, uh, solar system, uh, let alone postcode, but basically work <laughs> back from the constraints you have. So if you have your constraint is I want to, you know, go and do sub seven, then he needs to push X power. He needs to swim this fast and he needs to run this fast. And as a result of that, you reverse engineer back and then you track that timeline and you apply stimulus, make sure people are adapting and go from there. So where he would modify things um, on a micro cycle would be around fatigue and that sort of stuff. And where he would modify things on a more medium term would be to do with tracking how things are going because you don't want to be hitting things too early. You don't want to be hitting things too late. Um, you want to be applying appropriate stimuli. So um, he would have, I think, you know, the, the classic saying in general is like the map is not the territory. So I think he has a map, but once he encounters the territory to use the analogy is he would then modify around it. Right. So it's fine to say, yeah, I'm going to drive via this highway, but if the highway is closed, we go around it. Right. So I think that's probably the approach he takes. Um, repeatedly adjusting things as needed but then you know things will change um a good example this year is gustav he's trying to chase olympic selection 
next year in the short course. And so he has to race frequently. And, you know, if he races to, to achieve points, but if he races really well, wins a couple, then all of a sudden he doesn't need to race that many of the more of them. Whereas uh, I think he just got 39th in um, over the weekend in Yokohama. And so, you know, that makes it, you know, if he'd been, if he'd been fifth, that's different, right? So you have to modify plans again, a, because performance may not be where you think it's going to be or where you want it to be, but also B because he's going to have to race again more frequently. So you have to adjust that. And so that's a little bit niche there, but I do think um, it would be, yeah, I, I do think that that approach has lessons in it for everybody, which is understand what you're trying to get to understand the constraints of what that is, right? I want to run a sub three hour marathon. That means this pace for this many kilometers, I have to build to be able to do that. So then you make sure you're fast enough to do that. Then you extend it out, right? That's one approach. There's other ones as well. But I think um, where I struggle with some um, with some people is having a system that that works from the system to the event, not from the event back using some systematic approach. Mm. It sounds it may sound the same to people, but um, you in my mind you work backwards from the constraints of the of the problem you're trying to solve. Very mm. conventional, or maybe it is conventional. But um, it's it's comes from my strength and conditioning background. Um, that's just the way that we, I've always programmed it. I don't think there's too much more to get into, but I, I'd encourage people to try it and and have a bit of a go and see what they think. Um, and if not, just be more aware of your own training, right? It's like yeah. in terms of am I actually recovered enough to do? Do I need to modify things? Um, because as a coach, I think you would agree with this: a more engaged athlete is always going to be a bit better. And you'd rather an athlete make smart decisions uh, to modify things as needed because you can't always be there unless you're in person with the athlete. Now. You don't want an athlete just changing things wholesale because they feel like it willy nilly. You do want an athlete who's engaged enough that you can have those discussions over a period of time such that they can modify it when you're not there, or when they can't speak to you, right? You travel, you're athletes all over the world. Hey, I know Matt's asleep now. I can't, I, I've got the session plan. I'm actually not feeling great. I'm going to change it like this. Great. Because they understand your, they understand the way you coach, what your goals are, how you want to do it. And then that's happened over a period of time where you've both developed trust in each other. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth and, and tell your athletes to do that. But what, what I do think is that as an athlete, if you develop that with your coach, that's the, the best situation because you are, you know, you know, your body. Yeah, very true. I'm, I'm actually always telling athletes that I coach to, you know, while the training is there and the workouts are there, they're boxes to be ticked, not necessarily an exact plan to follow. And I, I tell, tell people regularly that if they, if they warm up and they just don't feel like they're ready for that workout for any particular reason, continue the warm-up and make it an easy run. Like extend it out to 60 minutes if you feel fine to do so and push the workout to later because we can always readjust the training week and, and push other workouts out to make sure that you are feeling recovered. So yeah, I mean, they, people people under the under uh, people that I'm coaching do, do that without even asking now. So, And I think given that the best indicator of long-term success is consistency, I think it makes no sense to push through. Like that no. doesn't make any sense in my mind. If the goal is consistency, then you should be doing everything you can to be consistent. And that is avoiding doing the wrong stuff as well, which yeah. is like getting injured, those sort of things, getting sick. So don't cook yourself and you don't need to be doing that. Thanks yeah. for listening to another week of Pro Running News. Really appreciate uh, your listenership. Please like, review and share the podcast as you can. By all means, send in some listener questions. We do have a couple coming up. We have had a couple uh, that have been submitted that we didn't feel comfortable doing today because we want to do them justice, but we are going to get to them. And uh, send us some, any other ideas, any other things you want to hear us talking about, and uh, we'll get to them soon.